The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got Pootie, the producer Dave, and the wanted man, the fugitive <laughs> of the law, Pastor Nate Wright, who got his summons. You're now a fugitive on the lamb, on the on the what, what do you call it when you're on, you're on your hideout? I don't know what we call it. Well, technically, I'm not a fugitive. They know exactly where I am. Not at the second, but um, yes, I did get a summons to appear in court uh, this this past week or since we've last recorded. So. Uh, yeah, we can talk about that in just a minute, but we are the Rebels. We're on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Canada network. Uh, we are Butch Cassidy and the Sundance. <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah. So Does that we, make me Butch, Butch Cassidy and you the Sundance kid? I don't really know a whole lot about them. I just want to be the cooler one. As long as neither of them are like gay, I'm cool then. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. The, only the woke uh, historical revisionists write the story that way, I think. <laughs> Um, it's not Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> that's terrible. That is terrible. We're the Young Guns. Can we say Young right, Guns? That's fine. That was that's a great fine. movie, by the way. It was. Or Maverick and Goose. Oh, that's You'd have good. to be Goose. Well, I do sing. So right? Because Maverick is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we, uh, we're the Rebels, that's and so uh, welcome back. Uh, yeah, so... For anybody who's been listening and following us over the last little while, our church has been continuing to meet in uh, defiance of the uh, government mandates and the COVID restrictions. And uh, this past week, we got, I got um, a couple of summons to appear in court. A very apologetic and lovely officer, special constable from the court came and delivered them to me while I was playing with my kids early in the morning. And uh, we, we put the kids in the backyard so I could have a conversation with a police officer who was very apologetic when she found out what the summons were for. So anyway, July 15th is when I appear in court, but uh, a lot of our friends who have been charged who are a little bit further along on this road than I am, all of their stuff has been delayed. So um, there's not a whole lot to say other than uh, we'll see what happens, but we're still doing our thing. As it seems like we're being like flippant about the idea that you got something. We're not. We're just like, it's one of those things where you're getting charged for doing the right thing. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, so at this point it's like, we, we trust that God is in control of all this stuff that this for isn't sure. a surprise to him. So we can, we can kind of laugh about it and joke around. Uh, and at the end of the day, we're, we, we're on borrowed time as it was. I mean, exactly. <laughs> this is about six months too late. <laughs> exactly. I would say the majority of people we've talked to since this news has come out have really just been like either a proud that you've taken the stance that you have or b been like, I kind of wish we were on the docket with you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, or just um, surprised. Oh, you hadn't been summoned yet. This is, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is your first one. This is your Amateur. first one. Yeah. Um, rookie. <laughs> well, uh, we have some people in our church with like seven or eight summons for um, rallies, rallies and, and things yeah, like so. That's true. Um, it's about time you got down yeah, in the trenches right. with your people. <laughs> I had to take a picture of it and send it to our, our buddies, Jacob Rayom and Aaron Rock, just to prove to them that we've been open the whole time. <laughs> 
here's the thing, like our church, you know, it might sound like we're being flippant and in a way we are, but we're not being um, prideful about it or anything. Uh, the, the reality is, is that we knew this was coming. We knew that at some point this was going to shift to a courtroom battle. I wish that there were more churches that were in our position, more pastors that were in our position. I wish we were flooding the courts with these unnecessary summons and, and trials just so that, uh, that they would have more incentive to throw them all out. But here we are and prayers are appreciated. Uh, the summons come with, uh, uh, each one comes with up to $100,000 and up to a year in prison. I, I can't imagine that that's going to be uh, what anybody faces, but certainly pray for us. And it just means we, uh, we go on doing our thing and trusting God. And Yeah, if you, if you have to go to jail, I'll make you ugly before. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Appreciate no that. On that note, actually, for anybody else following, uh, James Coates was in uh, in court the other day again, and uh, the judge ruled that his charter rights were not violated by the COVID orders, which just means that he lost in the lower courts and it's going to get appealed in the higher courts. We always assume that was the case. Generally, the lower courts where there are justice of the peace, they aren't quite as... Uh, um, I would say just experts on the law. I don't, I don't mean to disparage anybody. They all know more than I do. But uh, at the end of the day, we know that a lot of these kinds of charter challenges are resolved in higher courts, superior courts, and courts of appeal rather than uh, preliminary courts anyway. Yeah, a lot of times from the limited research and limited knowledge I have, a lot of times this is almost like not on purpose, but like this is how they kind of want to handle this thing so that it goes up to the appropriate people to, to handle it. Um, so it's like one of those things where the... Um, it's shameful that the judge didn't just side with them and, and sure. throw it out, but like they typically don't in these situations as they know that the people above them are kind of the experts in handling these kind of charter challenges. It's kind of like in the idea in the States where things get pushed to the Supreme Court and you kind of know almost kind of right away that something's gonna go going to go the whole way. Yeah. So Jack Phillips knew he was heading there before, yeah, he, ever, be- yeah. before he got to his first couple of things. He knew it was ultimately going to be decided at that level. And that's kind of, I think, uh, what James Coates even said himself. He's like, I kind of expected this. Yeah. Um, it's still a blow. It still sucks. But yeah. he and his wife, Aaron, um, they're on a couple of threads that, that we have going with some of the pastors and their wives who are standing up in Canada. And I mean, they're both very much still full of courage and faith. Uh, so keep praying for them. The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms is representing them. Uh, same law firm that's uh, representing uh, me and Crossroads. So that's a good thing. And I would just encourage you, I've had lots of people who have reached out. So I wrote a blog post kind of saying the why, right? Well, obviously, there's a lot of people even in our own church family who disagreed with the stance our church was taking early on. So I, I just wanted to get out. I have a lot of non-Christian friends. I have a lot of very liberally minded friends and, and family, quite frankly. So I just wanted to get out ahead of it, put a blog post up, just just sharing my heart so that in uh, motivations couldn't be imputed as, as the news got out. So you can go and check that out. It's on the Rebel website. The Rebel website's still uh, under our old name, rebelalliancemedia.com, but I shared it on my Facebook for anybody who wants to check it out or on Twitter. And when I wrote that, I had several people who reached out to kind of say, like, how can we help? Do you need financial support or anything like that? Well, no, the Justice Center, we've donated to them through all of this. Uh, They got a lot of support through the Liberty Coalition. If anybody is feeling compelled to help in any way, help the Justice Center because they're the ones fighting for all of us now that it's shifted to a courtroom battle. So. Yeah, or help me build a fence. That's also <laughs> that's probably secondary, but you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so that's what's going on. There's uh, there's lots of other news items. So before we kind of get it, there's there's something we wanted to talk about. We never really 
have much of an agenda for these shows. We just kind of show up and Dave turns on the mics and, and we, we chat. We start talking. Yeah. We start talking. Usually about three minutes before mic, uh, the mics get turned on, one of us says, what do you want to talk about today? So we have an idea of something that we w- might want to talk about, but we want to talk about a few news items first. So a couple of big things happened locally and then I guess nationally or internationally even. Internationally, um, the big thing that came out since we last recorded was the Fauci emails. I saw you shared something. Uh, Tucker Carlson has a good like 15-minute analysis of the whole thing. We're not going to go through the in- an analysis of the whole thing. I would just say that it is amazing when you read those emails, which were obtained through a Freedom of Information request. It is amazing how much of the COVID narrative, I would even say it takes more faith to believe the COVID narrative at this point than it does to be a Christian. <laughs> like, you, you know, we always say it, I, it takes more faith to be an atheist than a, than a creationist an evolutionist than a creationist or an atheist than a Christian. Similarly, I think it takes more faith to believe the COVID narrative now than it does to disbelieve in it. His, uh, his emails, I think were, were pretty indicting. I mean, nothing scandalous in terms of like, you know, some major bombshell, but a whole lot of little things that we really suspected all along. He, he knew about some of the inflated numbers in terms of dying with COVID as opposed to dying from COVID. He mentions in several different emails that masks do not work that the cloth masks that you buy at the grocery store don't stop the virus, do nothing to stop the virus. And then even you saying the surgical masks are really only for sick people. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Isn't this what we've been saying the whole time? Masks are not for healthy people. In fact, that's actually a quote from one of his emails. And we would just say, yeah, I know, because the Bible told us. Leviticus 13 says quarantine the sick. It even says cover the mouth of those who are sick when they're around the healthy. You don't put masks on healthy people. So we knew that. Some of his emails talked about how rare asymptomatic spread is. There's some funding stuff. I don't want to get into all that just because I don't know enough about it. So go and read Daily Wire or Tucker Carlson or something like that, and they'll get more into that stuff. But there's some funding stuff in terms of what they funded and the, the type of research they were funding at the Wuhan lab where the virus broke out. That's a little bit, we'll say, shady. Yeah, I I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was the, um, and the Tucker Carlson article that I shared on Facebook, feel free to find it, does a really good job of showing like an email that he will send internally to some of his people, to some of the people he's working with. And then they'll show like live stream of the like court where he's being questioned by Rand Paul and and people like this, where he says the complete opposite publicly versus what he says privately. And he's like, that's perjury. Yeah, you you can't lie to the Senate. The thing that stuck out to me is that there's clearly been a narrative that he's been pushing um, because he's tied to a lot of these these companies. And I know everybody right now is probably a conspiracy theorist and be like, at some point, it's not a conspiracy theory when it's being backed up by facts from the man's mouth himself. Like, yeah, like you said, it takes more faith to understand the to believe in the covid narrative at this point just look around that this isn't getting reported on anywhere yeah. like cnn i think praised him for his boldness going against his emails and be like what is happening right now just check it out go do the research yourself and if you still think that we're wrong about this feel free to email us and talk to us about it yeah for sure so one of the other pieces of news and this is a little bit more local chris and i live in london so london ontario this is just uh just yesterday I'm just going to read from a CBC News article here. It says, A 20-year-old man was charged Monday with four counts of murder and one count of attempted murder in a hit-and-run on Sunday involving a pickup truck in what London, Ontario police believe was a targeted attack on a Muslim family of five. 
Terrorism charges are also possible against Nathaniel Veltman, 20 years old, of London, said the investigator at a news conference. Veltman appeared in court via video link Monday afternoon. There's evidence that this was planned, premeditated, an act, uh, and what the family and that the family was targeted because of their Muslim faith. The chief of police in London said this is a devastating loss of four members of our community. So this is this is who passed away. The, the family members who died was a 74-year-old woman, the grandmother, a 46-year-old man, which was her son, a 44-year-old woman, which was his wife, a 15-year-old girl, and then there's a 9-year-old boy who remains in hospital with serious injuries. As we're recording this, it does look like the 9-year-old boy is going to pull through. He's got some serious injuries in, uh, in the hospital right now. It does look like he's going to pull through, but he's now an orphan. So there's a couple reasons we wanted to mention this. So first of all, London actually has had a little bit of a history of racism, anti-Muslim, a little bit of anti-Asian stuff more recently. Really, I guess it was about this time last year when the whole Black Lives Matter thing was really in the air and, and all anybody was talking about. And, uh, and so we just want to kind of circle back around and remind our listeners that, um, and this is kind of what will maybe transition us into the conversation that we want to have, we have to make sure that we don't respond to news stories based on which tribe we're in, okay? So there's a couple of things. Interestingly, uh, Doug Ford, who's a premier here in Ontario, is actually writing some special legislation so that he can come and there can be a vigil, a gathering at the mosque in London to honor this family. We're 100% in support of the vigil, family, friends, a a country, a a bunch of people's right to come together and mourn the loss of uh, this this family. And it's tragic, absolutely tragic. And it's evil, right? That this 20-year-old will let the courts figure out whether this was first degree murder or whatever. It seems as though there's some evidence. I don't know what that is, so I'm not gonna speculate, but from the way it looks right now, this is premeditated murder and that this family was targeted because they were Muslim. That's horrible. That's evil. And uh, according to biblical law, he should be put to death. He should be killed. So I just want to get that out right away. Secondly, I want to say absolutely there should be a vigil at the mosque. Let all the Muslims come together. Let them all mourn. Let them all get as close as they need to get. Uh, no social distance, no masks, none of it. Get together. That You should do that. Where I kind of want to say there's an issue here is that we know people who have had loved ones who have passed away over the last year, and they've had to have a funeral of 10 people. We know people who've gotten married over this last year. They had to have a wedding of 10 people. I know personally uh, a a guy who passed away in the hospital uh, early last year, almost about this time last year, about 15 months ago now. He had been married for 60 years, passed away, ripe old age, um, but his wife of 60 years was not allowed to be with him in the hospital when he passed away. There was no dignity in that death, and there was no closure for her in saying goodbye. So what I want to say is that what's really sad is how politicized everything gets, where Doug Ford, who has written all of the emergency acts that have me getting summons to court next month, who has fought and and made comments about people, Zoom is just as good, I don't understand why these churches can't just go on Zoom. If Doug Ford really thought that, then he would have told these people to have a Zoom vigil. But he didn't, which means we understand that Zoom is not enough. And I, I I want our listeners to hear me. I am not against this vigil. I support it completely. But I also support 
the funerals that should not have been restricted for the last 16 months. And it's sad when there's virtue signaling is the motivating factor for writing new legislation so that this family can mourn, even though families across Canada, across Ontario, certainly over the past 16 months, there's been no dignity in the death of loved ones. I think you're spot on. Um, as somebody who, like, in 2020, I lost my mom, yeah. and we had to limit the funeral. And we your had, uncle. And my uncle. Now, he he didn't want a funeral, but uh, my mom, we, we had to limit the amount of people who could attend. Um, you weren't able to come. You're my brother-in-law. Yeah. weren't able to come. Most of my friends couldn't come. Um, well, no, not, not most. All of my friends couldn't come. It was just immediate family, basically. Outside at the graveside. Exactly. Like Outside, we couldn't do couldn't do anything. Um, and that's a tragedy in there. So, like, I have no problems with the vigil either. I think what you're saying is spot on. Absolutely. They should be allowed to get together. We should be allowed to get together for all of these things. The only difference here is that there's political game for Doug Ford. That's right. Making this new legislation so everybody can say what a compassionate thing he's done. Right. Where we know... Every week I get I get told a story about somebody who's like, I can't go see my husband in the hospital That's until right. it was like an hour before he yeah. he passed. And those are just as tragic as what's happened to this family, which is a tragedy. Please hear that we we're, yeah, our hearts absolutely. are breaking for the, these people. But there are people who are suffering and dying through all, through all this pandemic who are being blocked from being able to go and do all these things by the legislation that now people yeah. are praising forward for. And I also, I hate this idea like, if you actually believed what you're preaching and what you're proclaiming about the virus, then it wouldn't matter the circumstances that That's you wouldn't right. that you wouldn't break this this why, down. You'd be like, it's go, a tragedy. This family is already dead. Why go kill all the old people that knew them? Exactly. Right. Like, like, really, like that's the narrative, right? Like asymptomatic spread being what it is. Ford, what if you have COVID? You're gonna go and you're gonna spread it to all of their family members who are over the age of sixty, and you're gonna kill all the grandparents. Yep. Ford. Right. So I, I only say that because that's not the narrative that we believe in. We've been speaking out against that this whole time. But what's frustrating is that the inconsistencies and we've seen this the whole time. Right. We've seen politicians who will march for Black Lives Matter. We'll see these politicians when there's opportunity for political gain, their narrative switches. And we even see this in their own personal lives. How many politicians, doctors, high ranking officials have we seen who have traveled during a stay at home order, who have gathered for dining? James Kenney, who's the premier out in Alberta, who's locked up James Coates and put Tim Stevens in, in prison, was seen by a drone. Uh, did you see this? The, a oh. drone photo uh, last week dining in a penthouse with several people that aren't in his bubble. Right. This is the problem. So there's a lot to unpack here. Right. <laughs> I, just just a, by way of reminder, for those of you who are new to the rebels, the reason our podcast exists is to help Christians think biblically and engage culture with a biblical worldview. So these things happen, and we want to respond biblically, Christianly to what's going on. So here are the two responses I'm seeing. I'm seeing a whole lot of people who maybe will just say lean a little bit more left, at least on this issue, who are saying that it's a good thing that Doug Ford is changing the legislation so that he can go. And then there's a whole lot of people who are, we'll just say, more right-leaning on this issue, who are sharing the story with a condemnation of the hypocrisy without any acknowledgement of the tragedy itself. And this is how the divide widens, right? Christians should be able to condemn the act of hate, condemn the murder, right, of these individuals, the premeditated murder, and say that that person deserves to die, right, the person who killed them, and the family deserves to mourn, and the friends and family deserve to meet, and we can say all of those things while still pointing out the hypocrisy. 
But what we shouldn't do is just wait. And this is, I see this way too much. I see, you know, it's like people wait to see what their, how their tribe is supposed to respond to news. Have you seen that? It's just like, oh, how should we think about this? Can't do that. We got to think independently. We got to think Christianly about what's going on. And, and we have to be consistent. And the consistent way to respond to a story like this is to condemn the evil on both sides. The hypocrisy in terms of the politicians and even the the, the sort of culture that wants this vigil. We should affirm their desire to, to have the vigil. And also we should condemn the evil that took this family. We can do all of those things without betraying our tribe. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you see this with almost every yeah. every mass tragedy, so to speak. What's the what's the first thing that comes out is the, if uh, if somebody if a school gets shot up, which is a tragedy, it isn't like let's pray for the victims. It's guns should be banned. Is the first thing that one That's side right. comes out, and then you have the other side who, rather than saying, well, like let's let's deal with that down the road, let's let's go for the, they're saying no, guns shouldn't be banned, and then all of a sudden it becomes an issue, right? Rather, and then where instead it's like. There's a tragedy that we need to like yeah. deal with first, right? We're leaving victims in the wake of our political debates. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, like a, a school shooting is a tragic thing. I have a really great solution, by the way, to school shootings. I don't know if you know. It has nothing to do with gun banning. <laughs> abolish, yeah, <laughs> abolish public schools. <laughs> no more public school shootings. I was thinking teach all the teachers kung fu. Or That's, arm them. That works yeah, too. That too. But okay. So, but see, there, there you go. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a political. Uh, I, we just I did know. it. We just did yeah. it. But, but this is my point: is that what we, what ends up happening because everything has become so polarized and because everything is so tribal, is that we lose sight of the victims in all of this, right? You think about George Floyd, for example, right, and Derek Chauvin. Derek Chauvin was the white cop who put his knee on uh, George Floyd's neck and George Floyd passed away. And again, what you end up having is you have a whole lot of people who are talking about racism and systemic racism. And then you have a whole lot of people who are saying this isn't a racial issue. Look at all the drugs he had in his system. Now, we need to let the courts figure out whether or not Derek Chauvin is a murderer or whether or not he died of asphyxiation because of a drug overdose. We need to let the courts decide those things. But in the midst of it all, there were victims, right? There are real people who are, who are tragically affected by all of this. And we have to figure out how to engage with these issues. You do have to be able to respond to the people talking about systemic racism. You don't give them a free pass because you don't want to offend the victims. But what you do is you have to figure out how to navigate it in such a way that you're not just aligning yourself with a particular tribe and forgetting about the tragedy in the midst of it. Part of what we're seeing in the church now too, right? There's yeah, totally. Um, there are people who, um, if we take COVID as the big issue that we're dealing with right now, we have people who are going super far to one side on the hard line, being like, "It's all a joke. It's all a conspiracy. We need to treat everybody who isn't towing our line as non-Christians." Right. And then you have Outcast. the other people who are like, "Well, maybe we should just." trust that the government's got our best interest in heart there. Um, yeah. Maybe like Romans 13, exactly. love, yeah. your, love your neighbor. What we're saying, and I think I pridefully think our church has done a good job at this is tried to be in the middle of those, of those two things. And we obviously have people on farther to one side versus farther to yeah. the other. Even us, I would say between the two of us, I'm a little farther to the, like they will drag me out of my building with my, <laughs> my dead hands. And you're a little bit more gracious. And I think that's what we're seeing played out in the church about around COVID. Right. Yeah. And I want to be really clear because what we're not saying is to is to find the middle ground and, and try to stay there and to keep everybody happy. That's not what we're saying. No. 
what we're saying is that when we act on principle, biblical principles, oftentimes it will actually put us in the middle because there's always sin on both sides. Let me play this out for you. So the pastor who is basically, all of this is a joke, we're gathering no matter what, we're, we're gathering together, there's going to be no restrictions. Uh, if you're not willing to come to church, you're a sinner and you know, you're probably not saved to begin with. And so I'm not going to come find you. I'm not going to shepherd you. I'm not putting anything out online for you. You're under church discipline if you don't Yeah, show you're under up, church but... discipline if, you, if you're neglecting the gathering, all that kind of stuff. And, and there's that hard line of, of sort of unyielding hardness, all right? And then what you have on the other side is the, is the totally bought into the narrative, like, you know, we're going to love our neighbor by staying home and staying safe. We shouldn't be meeting. You shouldn't be giving freedom of conscience when it comes to masks. Everybody should be doing this. And if you don't see it my way, you're sinning because Romans 13 says obey the government, right? And there's this softness. What we're trying to say is that there's actually a middle ground, not because you're trying to keep both sides happy, but there is a middle ground called grace, and grace is full of both truth and mercy. You can have grace for those who haven't seen through the cultural lies. You know, any good shepherd, any good pastor understands that even your best people, they're doing their devotions every single morning, they're in their Bible, they're in a small group, they're interacting with your midweek teaching, whatever that looks like, they're at church on Sunday mornings, but all of that still amounts to the church is only influencing them maybe five hours a week. And then their own personal devotions, depending on what they have, like maybe they have a Paul Tripp devotional book, or maybe they have like Jesus Calling or something. Hopefully, you know, eventually at your church, you'll get those things out of their hands and they'll be digging into the meat of God's word. But but you have people at all the different spectrums in terms of where they are in their Christian faith. And so what's competing with the five hours of influence you have over them is everything they're seeing on Facebook, everything they're seeing on the news, everything they're hearing from their neighbors, everything their workplace is telling them. And all of that is competing with it. And if you can't understand that Christians can be confused and Christians can get it wrong sometimes, then you don't understand the Bible. <laughs> the Bible talks about, like, there was a reason Paul had to confront Peter to his face because Peter, super apostle Peter, who stood up and, and declared on the day of Pentecost a, a wonderful hard-nosed sermon, right? A hard-nosed sermon that uh, saw 3,000 men converted in one day, um, had to be confronted by Paul because he started to, to capitulate. So we have to understand that there needs to be enough grace to coax people along to win them, not just the hard line sort of like, don't let the door hit you in the butt on the way out because you're not a real Christian anyway. But then on the other side, there is a time and a place for speaking hard words. Right now is a time for hard words. You know, when there were times Jesus went to the temple and he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and just read the scriptures, there's times Jesus went to the temple and, and took the time to fashion a whip and drive everybody out of it, right? There's time for harsh words like he had with Nicodemus when he was curt with Nicodemus saying you're the, you know, teacher in Israel and you haven't heard these things. And there are times when he's a little bit more gracious like he was with the woman at the well, still called her out on her sin at the end of the day, but much more gracious in that conversation. And think about Peter tells Jesus, you know, don't go to Jerusalem, you know, get behind me, Peter. Satan's tried to sift you, but I've prayed for you, Peter, right? You're going to deny me three times. And then he gives him three opportunities of repentance afterwards. Like there was a graciousness there. We need to display both. We need to have hard skin and soft hearts, soft hearts towards people and, uh, and hard when it comes to doing what's right and obedience to the word. I think that's the the key. The, the posture is the key there, right? Like 
the picture that keeps coming to my head is Nehemiah, who's got a sword in one hand, ready to defend his people from attack. Yeah, that's right. And he's got a hammer and the word and the word in the other hand was trying to build up the kingdom. And I think I think the that picture I've I've always kept that in, intention of what a faithful man of God looks like is somebody who's willing to defend and is willing at those points to fight for what's right at the point that he needs to. But his primary focus is to build up his people and to shepherd them well. And I think. On Facebook, I think we're seeing it through different churches. Um, we're seeing people who are almost becoming tribal about this issue, right? Like where yeah. there's like, we've had people who have gotten upset about that we're not hard enough on the stances. Like we got flame for having a, a second service. We mm-hmm. get like, there's all these people who have been upset with us on our buying too soft, but we've been open the whole time. And there's people who are, um, you know, upset that we've been open. You know right. what I mean? Like that we don't require masks and we, we don't allow for social. We don't, uh, we allow people not to have social distancing. We don't move our chairs apart, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. And that's the thing is like, if you're not upsetting people on both sides, then that probably means you're, you're capitulating you're to one of the two sides. Yeah. Right. Here's the thing, like and we say this a lot on this podcast, and I think I got it originally from Doug Wilson, and that is you can fall off the road onto the ditch on either side, right? And so we have to understand that there, at the end of the day, the issue with all of us is sin. There's indwelling sin. We all have sin in our hearts. And really, I think this all comes down to a pride issue in our hearts. There's pride in that sort of like, I'm hard, I know truth, I'm, I'm uncompromising, I'm unyielding, I got, you know, steel spine, and there's a pride in all of that, that it's like, if I was to be gracious with somebody who disagrees with me, who's not coming to church right now because they're staying home, instead of bringing them, you know, a care package, instead of going to their house and praying for them, inviting them back, telling them that you wish you, they were there, that you think they should be there, but still going and caring for them as opposed to just letting that one sheep go, there's pride in that, like, I'm hard enough, I'm strong enough, I'm courageous enough, I'm bold enough to just forge ahead. But then there's pride on the other side, too, and that's that sort of, like, pride of, look, I know what's right here, you don't know what's right, or even, like, and we see this more so maybe on the, the other side of things, is, like, the pride that comes with a f- sort of feigned humility, like, well, does anybody really know the right response here? She's like, yes, the Word of God says Leviticus 13 tells us how to deal with these sorts of things. It's like, yeah, yeah, but this is a novel virus. We don't know a whole lot. Shouldn't we just trust the experts? Are you so prideful as to think that you know better than, you know, the doctors and the medical professionals and all this kind of stuff? Do you really think that you can unravel this mystery when there's so much misinformation? And there's this sort of feigned humility that's actually rooted in pride as well because they think they're smarter than the Bible. The Bible is very clear on these issues. No, pastors and elders cannot require masks. Outside of your jurisdiction, stay in your lane. No, the healthy should not be quarantined. Outside of God's law, therefore immoral. So we have to be able to stand firm on the word of God, but not on our strength, on its validity and its truth. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's funny because I think that there's actually, there's a, there's a ton of humility in surrendering to the word of God, as opposed to the pride that comes with you knowing whether you're on the sort of quote unquote right or left of this issue, there's submission to let's open up the scriptures and talk together. And I think that's what I've been most disappointed in is the, the unwillingness to have a conversation with our Bibles open between the people in either camp. I think you're spot on. There's a lack of faith when you're too soft about, oh, do you really know? Well, the Bible tells us to have assurance in what the Word says. That's right. And so we can be confident. We can be bold about what the Word of God says. The Bible also tells us to be gentle and not quarrelsome. Right. And so 
um, and to when when possible to live at peace with one another. That's right. Um, so like there, the other side sins by taking that like truth and ham- like hammering it to the point where it's like there is no gentleness, there is no kind heartedness because it is pride at that point to be like I know better than you. Right. And I want I want to be very clear there. Like we obviously think there are certain like there are certain people who are right, you know. What I mean, and some of those people in the far, um, like the militant camp, so to speak, so to speak, aren't wrong about what they're saying. Nope, they're just wrong in the way they're saying it. And I want to be really careful here because we're treading on uh, well, Dangerous, I mean, dangerous waters. <laughs> well, the thing is, is like we're we love these episodes. Like Chris, <laughs> these are our favorite episodes when we offend everybody, <laughs> but we want to offend everybody equally, right? We don't want to just pick our camp and and lob shots over the net to the other side. We want to offend everybody because there's sin in all of our hearts. And so we need to be convicted of the sin that's there. And you need to be aware enough of the sin in your own heart to know whether or not, what is it that's in your heart that's either tending you towards legalism or antinomianism, right? There's always that lean. So I I agree with you. We're not tone policing. There is a sin here in terms of the people who are not addressing the content and just blaming people's tone. Here's what I want to say. The verse that says, speak truth in love, that everybody loves saying, well, speak truth, speak truth. That's what love is. No, no, no. It doesn't say speak truth. That is love. It says speak truth in, in love. love. Yeah. That would be redundant if truth and love were synonyms. They're not. You have to speak the truth in love. What is love? Love is obedience to the word of God, right? That's First John 5, 3. This is love that you would obey all that I've commanded. Well, what is Christ commanded? What are the fruit of the Spirit? Self-control, gentleness, kindness, meekness, right? Joy, love, peace, patience, all of these things. If you are engaging culture without the fruit of the Spirit, you are not engaging culture Christianly. You're engaging culture maybe with truth, but not with the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what tempers the truth. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you couch it in such a way that it's more palatable to people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it doesn't matter how palatable it is. The Holy Spirit either enlightens people's hearts and minds or he doesn't. But you're sinning while you're speaking truth because you're doing it in an unkind, unpatient, unself-controlled way. And, and in Galatians, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right before it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it talks about the deeds of the flesh. And what are they? Being quarrelsome, right? Being angry. It's all of these things that are contrary. And part of the whole reason when we're looking around at all these churches and they're, they're all closed, part of the reason is because we have not been above reproach in how we've been speaking truth to the culture. And so there are legitimate criticisms with many pastors who are doing things right now and what they're saying. There's legitimate criticism because they're not engaging with the fruit of the Spirit. And so I think we would have a a lot more success, Holy Spirit-driven success, if we were above reproach both in what we were communicating and how we were communicating it. Amen. Now that we've offended everybody, um, (laughs) let's try to back it up. How do we get unoffended? I think the answer is we talk about it. We get together absolutely, and we, absolutely. and we open our Bibles and we reason together from the scriptures. Yeah. Because there will be people who are on one side who are almost shaming everybody who isn't there yet. Yeah. And it's like this idea of like, I know the Bible better than you. You need to catch up to me. Right. And it's like, but there's the pride there. It's not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come back and drag you with me and help you get to where you need to be. There's a pride there. Just be like, oh, they're not Christians if they don't, if they're not thinking the way that I'm thinking. Yeah. And then there are other people who are 
almost passive aggressive about the whole thing that they don't want to talk about it can't stand how much passive aggressive it's like the tone of the church these days is terrible but they're so they're so passive aggressive that they won't talk about it until the point where they boil over and then they're like I'm out yeah. And they're leaving churches and, and like, I'm not going to name names, but there's been people who have left and we're, and like, we're sitting there thinking like, I'm sure we could have worked this out if we just swallowed our pride. That's it. And met together and basically yeah. talked it out. And like, you know what? It might not be a very comfortable conversation, Yeah, but like real love is, is risking that. You know what I mean? Like it's totally. like, we've all probably had these conversations with a friend at some point where it was difficult. It was hard. And there was the chance that the friendship wasn't going to recover. Yep. But most of the time it does survive that. And what happens? You're better friends because of it. It's like totally. this, it's like this idea of like when we, we, I'm going to mock some people here. Uh, but like when you're in public school or in, in high school, girls don't have a lot of friends. A lot, most of the time, big stereotype. Why? Because they don't talk about it. You know what I mean? They don't fight. Whereas guys, we just punch each other and then yeah. it's, we're all fine. And it's, yeah, yeah. and it's totally, it's forgotten. Massive stereotypes. Everybody's <laughs> better. Uh, but it's like one of those things where it's like, it's dealt with. Totally. Um, and I think we just need to get back to dealing with the things. You know what I mean? Like if we have disagreements on all these issues, let's just talk about it. You know what yeah. I mean? We can figure, we can figure it out. Come to the table together. And we might still disagree at the end of it, but at the, at the end of the day, we're going to be closer and better in better relationships because we've talked about it. Totally. There's a guy who comes to our church who uh, was in to see me the other day. I haven't seen him a whole lot because he hasn't been, uh, hasn't been coming um, throughout the pandemic he came to the services that were following restrictions when they were following restrictions, but hasn't been during any of the lockdowns or anything. His conviction is really Romans 13. We've talked about it. He's heard me speak on it a dozen times. I haven't convinced him, uh, but he came in the other day and uh, we had a great conversation and he said, I was going to email you because, you know, he saw that we got summons and all this kind of stuff and he was, he was upset. He wasn't really upset. He just, he disagreed with us and he wanted the leadership to know it. But I, I respect that he came in, he talked with me about it, and he brought this verse to me, which I thought was interesting. He, and he was just like, I, and it was sort of like, I, I, I'm sure in part of his mind, he was sort of like, like I, you know, here's a verse that might convince Nate, right? And it was from Acts 18. I'll just read verses 1 and 2. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. Claudius, who was Caesar of of the Roman Empire, ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome, and the Jews obeyed. They listened. They left. And so his point there was, like, Claudius is an ungodly ruler. That was an unjust law. He he had no right to tell them where they should and shouldn't live, but they obeyed him, right? That, that They were doing their Romans 13 duty. And so he brought that to me, and obviously I— the answer to that question is, um, no, he didn't have a right to tell them that they couldn't live there, but we're also not commanded in Scripture to live in Rome. We're not commanded to live in a particular place, right? And so their uh, decision whether or not to resist that tyranny, and that was the you know the edict of a tyrant, where we are commanded to gather. We are commanded to lay hands on the sick. We are commanded to, you know, all those things. We've talked about that all the time. You know, that's how I answered that question. We, we talked about that a little bit, but he came and talked with me. We were together for almost an hour and a half. We had a great conversation. He's coming back this, uh, not, not necessarily this Sunday, but once once we move into a, a couple different stages, I haven't convinced him of my, my position on Romans 13, but we chatted it out. We talked about it. I gave him the time of day 
quite honestly, I, I didn't know what to expect, but he's the hero of the story because he came in, he was willing to open up his Bible with me, he was willing to have a conversation with me, and there's no animosity, no hard feelings. And I just say that as like, every time I've gotten together with somebody, because we're staying open or we're taking these hard stances and all this kind of stuff, we don't care about the people who disagree with us. And, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Like, these are people whose spouses I've buried, kids I've baptized, like, I care about these people. The problem isn't that we don't care about them. The problem is, is that our care for them isn't altered by our obedience to scripture. Our our obedience to scripture has to come first and foremost, but you can do both, right? You can both obey your conscience. And hopefully if you're actually having conversations with the Bible open in front of you, if the spirit of God dwells in them, you will both be led to truth, right? So if, if one person needs the sharp edges rounded off and the other person needs to grow a little bit more testicular fortitude, then those two things happen for each of those individuals in conversation together. That's part of why iron sharpens iron, because until the two tribes, the two camps come together and reason together from the scriptures, the Holy Spirit can't do his work of using iron to sharpen iron and lead you both to truth. To sum up, grow stones and get a soft heart. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, you know, hard men and so- with soft hearts is, uh, I think, what we're what we're going for here. And I think we have too many hard men with hard hearts or soft men with soft hearts. What we need is hard men with soft hearts. Amen. All right. Anybody else you want to offend before we <laughs> before we sign off? No, Dave. Can I say anything bad about you right now? I like, no. I think we I think we've done a job, good job of offending everybody. We're the rebels. This is what we do. Yeah. So. All right. Good to be with you again. Uh, we'll be back next week. If any of you are here to listen. <laughs>